0: Okay, good morning. Uh, I'm going to adjust some things. One of the things I want to tell you, and then we're going to do a little exercise. One of the things I want to tell you first, uh, is I'm doing something I've never done before, and, and I get to preach over the last 20 or 30 years, maybe 20 or 30 times, like once a year, um, in different churches I've been in. And and I, don't, I, I think they may want me sometimes to preach for comic relief, or maybe because sometimes I do uh, science experiments. Uh, one friend of mine, uh, whenever I teach, he says... Are you going to have anything explode? You know, he's kind of excited about that. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe it's so that the the real pastors, when they speak, then people will be relieved. Like, oh, good. We get the real people again. Uh, But I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to use an iPad. Uh, I got a chance to do a wedding. Austin and Mary got uh, married last summer, summer, and uh, Austin and Mary... Uh, I got to do the officiating, which was a great experience. And I decided, rather than rustling paper around, I decided to use an iPad. And not that it's so cool anymore, but it was just kind of nice to, like, swipe, you know, <laughs> scroll up. And, and it, it's bright, and I could see it better and so forth. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. Um, but here's the other thing. I realized I was preparing this message. Sometimes you know right in the middle of a message that's just not hitting people couple of indicators. One is when people are falling asleep. The second is when my wife, who I often look to for encouragement when she's going. (laughs) (laughs) Which she does in our small group a lot. And that's an indicator. That's something I probably am not hitting something right. But here's the cool thing I realized with an iPad. How easy it is without you even knowing for me to Google sermons. Even on the same (laughs) sermon, Psalm 1. You know, I could get a whole bunch of them of sermons, and I could just pull up and I start speaking from, you know, somebody who died 100 years ago, you know, some, Charles Spurgeon, I've been reading him lately, and you're going to think, that was amazing, it's really start Charles Spurgeon's sermon, you will never know, okay, so um, we're going to do that, uh, and and I'm going to adjust here in a little bit so I don't have to be looking down so far, Uh, have you ever wondered what it would be like to have been in Israel the first century? And there's a man that started speaking out in the wilderness, out, out in the country, started started speaking. And it just uh, it really turned the, the people of Israel, the Jews, on, on their ear. They, it, just, it just caused a buzz everywhere. And people started going out to see him. Who, who was that person? I, my I can't believe it. If I went in that room with kids community, they would get it. Who was that? Oh, I thought I'd trick you thought you'd say what they would say, Jesus. Yes, John the Baptist. But John the Baptist talked about somebody who was greater than him coming. And and I think we all would say, because we're here in this church, that we would be excited to be able to be in the crowds when Jesus spoke. How many would agree with that? What would that be like? And how would that change you? I just thought about this this morning, and I added to my notes. Here's here's the, the sad thing, though is what was true back then is still true today, I believe. That Jesus was speaking, and they had thousands and thousands of people following him in the crowds. But of those thousands, there was only perhaps hundreds that were called followers. And of those followers, there was only a few that were disciples. Many, in fact, with things that Jesus said, they turned and walked away. But at one point, Jesus challenged the disciples who had, been, who had been close to him, and he says, are you going to go too? And Peter turned around and said, but Lord, where would we go? You Only you have the words of life. So I'm going to challenge you this morning, and I really, this really, I, 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 my, my fear is this that, that you won't take a challenge. You'll maybe think, that was a good message. I really want you to hear the challenge of the disciples here. Do you see, heard, you see? Thousands heard the message, but a few caught it, and they caught it not just to follow for a little bit. They caught it in a way that they wanted to integrate in their life, and it turned their life around, and it turned the world upside down. So this morning, I'm going to give you a message, uh, and I know it can turn your life around because it's turned my life around. I know it can turn the world around because it's turned the world around before, and it comes out of the Bible so I can trust it. And so when we do this exercise and and for the rest of the time, I want to challenge you. Are you going to be just someone in the crowd that hears it and maybe even appreciates, maybe even likes it, maybe even wants to hear something like that again? Or are you going to be somebody that takes up the challenge and says, Lord, here am I, send me. I want to be one of those. I want to be a full on, all in, 100% fully committed disciple of you. We're going to um, take a look at a psalm. We're going to do an exercise right now. Um, before we do this, uh, before we put up the psalm, uh, I've got a, a, a quick little glimpse of a story. I was a youth pastor years ago, uh, probably 25 years ago uh, or so, for three years. And, and like typical youth group, kids would come, would play some games, would have a message, and, uh, and you know some kids would laugh about the message, or they would have, we would discuss, and it was good. But sometimes... A kid would catch something that was at a deeper level than everybody else. And the kid's name was Mike. And Mike, and I still remember, I don't even remember what we were teaching on, but there's something, I think, on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we were teaching this, and all of a sudden, Mike stopped. He raised his hand. He said, I've got a question. Go ahead. And he, he, he said, what? What? And he asked this question. I'm not going to tell you yet what the question was. He asked a question that just stopped everything. And I basically, to the answer to the question, I said, that's the point. Yes, Mike got it. And the others were just hearing a talk. Mike got it. And so I want to challenge you with this, this whole message that you'd be like Mike. So we're gonna, um, let's put up this psalm. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do an exercise. It's Psalm 1. And if you can't read all that because of the font, you can, like, open a Bible or get on a smartphone. It's, it's an old-fashioned idea, yeah. Um, and so here's what I want you to do. Um, my wife and I started practicing this years ago, and I don't do this every day. But when I do it, almost always it's so fruitful. Here's what I want every one of you to do in some way, shape, or form. Here's what I typically do. I have a little journal, a little notebook thing. And I'm going to ask you guys to do this. You may not have a journal or anything to write on. That's okay. We'll do a kind of a non-writing version of this. Uh, but what I want you to do is I want you to go through the psalm. I want you to read through it. And what you're looking for is something that sticks out to you, either is interesting or, or maybe God would kind of highlight something. It would apply to your life or, or you would find it challenging or something. And then write that down and then write a short little response. And usually I take like a little page. I write, sometimes it's two pages, sometimes it's a full page, but I write the scripture and it could be a, a three or four verses. It could be one word. And then I write a little response about my reflection on that. So that's what I want you to do. I'm not going to give you much time. You won't be able to finish it, probably. And you may not have thump- something to write down. That's okay. But pick something in there, and then we're going to have you, after you have a chance to write or ponder it, we're going to have you share with somebody else about that. Okay? Everybody understand that? Okay? Go ahead. You can continue to um, write if you're kind of in, the, in a stream of thought. Uh, I tried this years ago with, uh, believe it or not, seventh grade boys. And the test of the power of something is when it works on seventh grade boys. And it was amazing. I would give them 10 minutes to find a scripture. And I told them, I said, you read through this chapter. And if you don't find anything, read it again. Don't find anything, read it again. And then pick something out and then write about it. And then we discuss. And these kids, these 7th grade boys, who you couldn't settle down, who didn't, couldn't listen to a message, would come up with these incredibly profound things. One parent told me afterwards, said, what did you do to my kid? I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, they came back, said they want to do the dishes, they want to help out around the house, they said they haven't been honoring us or something. That is a miracle. How many agree with that? <laughs> Amen. The power of God's word. Um, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it gets to go into the Thoughts and intents of the heart. And it worked on a seventh grade boy. It can work on you, too. Okay, here's what I want you to do. You haven't had a lot of time. You could do more, I'm sure. But pick that one thing, and if you didn't write anything down, just pick one piece of that, and I want you to find somebody and do a quick share out about that. Go. Find somebody. If You have to get up and move if you're kind of sitting by yourself. Low risk. Just find somebody to talk to. Okay, sorry. Time. <clears throat> How many of you got something? Uh, got something valuable out of that? Okay, I be- f- firmly believe that you can take any section. Well, some sections of scripture are hard. Genealogies—it's hard to get a lot, but there's there is value out of those too. Uh, take a section of scripture daily. God can do some basic things in it. Um, so let me tell you the question that Mike asked in that youth group. He asked a simple question. You might think it's not very profound. I think it was life-changing and profound. The question was, he said, a picture, kids growing up in church. He had an advantage. He didn't grow up in the church. In the church. He asked a simple question. He said, it started with kind of like this. Whoa. I said, what? He said, what if people actually did this? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if people actually followed this, like, it would change everything. Amen? And, and that is the question that I want you to ponder, not only in terms of, in a general sense, but specifically in Psalm 1. What if we actually did this? What would happen? Now, Psalm 1, I'm going to start talking about Psalm 1, and we'll leave it up there, and you can kind of go through this in your mind. I'm not going to go... Chronological. I'm going to jump around a little bit, um, but it, it's very simple. The psalm is very simple in this sense. It contrasts two kinds of people, uh, the wicked and the blessed. And I I think we tend to like to put people in two categories, right? Um, like good and bad. Uh, the people who are right and wrong. Uh, Democrats and the righteous. Right? <laughs> uh, just kidding. Okay, just kidding. No political commentary there intended. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I'm not going to talk about the last part of the psalm. Here's why. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. We're like, yeah! And uh, most of us probably don't put us in that, ourselves in that category, right? Um, and, and if you do, that's probably a good sign, actually. You're like the guy that was afraid to look up to heaven the, the, in, in the parable that Jesus told. Um, just uh, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. But anyway... Um, we, we tend to, to not think of ourselves there. And, but I think really the issue is, is the other part. Um, and, uh, and it's talking about the blessing, how blessed it is to be blessed. How many of you have been blessed? I have thousands of times every time I sneeze. It's, it's, it's amazing. People keep telling me they don't even know what it means. I don't know what it means really, but they just keep saying, bless you, bless you. And I always say, I, I have been, thank you. Um, and so, um, But what does it mean? Uh, It it means a number of things. To be happy, of course. To be prosperous, fulfilled. And more than just any one of these, it's really a combination, the concept of to be blessed. We all want to be blessed. Everybody on earth, if you defined it in the right way, they would say, yeah, I want that. I want to be blessed. And here's the cool thing, is that it gives us a a, a formula for how to do that in a sense. Um, Every um, mother and father, every godly leader wants their... Children and wants their people to be blessed. I have three kids plus one, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But every one of them, my the, my heart cry. is not for them to have enough money. It's not for them to you know ha, to to have some friends. It's to be blessed in a in a holistic sense. And and boy, when you become a parent, it's amazing. It's just like it's nothing. You you you. There's nothing that drives you more than wanting to see. Your children blessing and blessed, and I believe that's what God's heart is here. He wants you to be blessed, and then he gives you a way to be blessed and how to get there. One of the greatest frustrations, if you are a parent, and if you are a leader, is to see people who have, are on the right path, perhaps, um, but they're, they're, well, they were on the right path, but they're not anymore because they're making choices, and they're dying of thirst, and their blessing may just be right around the corner, but they aren't staying with it. Who's ever known somebody like that? Who's ever been that person? Yourself. You're dying of thirst, and there's a blessing right around the corner. Now, the concept of blessing is, is can be nebulous, to be blessed. It can be nebulous. And so, fortunately, the psalmist gives us a metaphor. The metaphor is this beautiful me- metaphor of a tree planted by streams of water. And what's in there, to me, is several things. One is the tree, the, the secret of the tree is not its nature itself, but the source of water that it taps into and the company it keeps. And here's what it says. It says its leaf does not wither. Um, It says that it uh, yields its fruit in its season, that it will be fruitful 30, 40, 60, 100-fold. It will be fruitful. There will be an incredible amount of fruit that will come out of this blessed tree um it's uh and and by the way that fruit is yielded in season it says in the psalm there's seasons where you're not going to see fruit who's been there but you stay with it you stay tapped in my father who's over there had an orchard for 20 years it's called walter's fruit ranch ironically named after tracy walters it's still called that even though he's not there anymore um so if you hear a bad report it's not his fault uh but Walter's Fruit Ranch, and there are seasons, obviously, when there's not fruit, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, but then the fruit comes. And when it comes, if it's, if it's well fertilized, if it's tapped into the, to the streams of living water, then it'll be something like this, perhaps. Um, it says uh, there's a parallel verse of Jeremiah 17 that's great. If you want to write this down, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Um, it's, it's almost the same, but it says it does not fear when the heat comes or when the drought comes. In a year of drought, it does not have fear. That's how powerful it is. Now, we have a picture um, of a tree. Um, and this tree I took, there's a wall, a short wall in the back of our yard. This is the Walters birch. And we, I stood up on this wall, and I took this picture. How many of you think that's a pretty cool tree? We planted that, and there's a deck right underneath that, right behind that. We planted that very intentionally. We looked a lot for different types of trees, and we picked the spot very intentionally. And if you're in the marriage class, I showed this before. Uh, but for the sake that someday it may grow up to give us some shade. And it's this beautiful filtering shade. It's just amazing. We love this tree. The neighbor saw us plant this before it ever grew up and gave us shade. The neighbor thought it was a good idea. And so they got a tree, too, just a couple years afterwards. So I took that picture. I turned around on the wall and took the picture, the back behind us, the yard behind us. Here's our neighbor's tree. What does that tell us about that tree? A couple things. One, it's pretty big. It had a a period when it was growing. And, of course, the metaphor is there may have been time where you were growing strong. In the Lord, there was strength in your life, there is purity in your life, there is power in your life, it's also a warning. We are only a short time away from, if we turn away from the principles of God, for us to be shipwrecked. And we see it over and over and over again in accounts. And with people we know, how many know someone who was going well and they got shipwrecked And they became a tree like this. Now, there's two reasons, two main reasons this happened. One is these trees are very vulnerable. If anybody knows this, they're very vulnerable, particularly to a thing called birch boar. that gets inside and eats it out from the inside and kills kills the life of the tree. The second, you look at the yard and everything. What happened a few years ago, their sprinkler system broke and they stopped watering. And they, by the way, it's a different set of neighbors now that have bought the house, I don't know, five, six years ago. And, and they have not been, obviously, keeping up their yard for who knows what other reasons. I'm hoping they're not here tonight, today. I'm not trying to make them look bad. Uh, that's not the point. Um, but but it, it not only drew, it's began to dry up, but it got bird spore, apparently, and you have to actively treat these trees to make sure you have to defend them against the bird spore. How I many get that? You have to continue every year, be faithful to treat them, or our tree would look like that tree. And it may, if we don't keep it in the source. Now, next, the scripture. We'll go back to the scripture. Can we go back to Psalm 1? Um, it says, um, blessed. So here's, here's the secret. Blessed if you don't. There's two sides of the coin. One is what you don't do, and the other is what you do, do. And sometimes Christians f- f- uh, focus more on the what you don't do. Some f- figure uh, they focus more on the what they do do. And you need to do both the don'ts and the do's if you want to do the do. How many understand that? <laughs> and so um, so in order to get to be that fruitful tree that in the time of drought, this leaf does not wither, here's what I need to do. I need... Um, to, uh, to follow the scripture. And it says, uh, um, to not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of, of scoffers or mockers. How many of you, uh, how many of you uh, uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked? How many of you stand in the path of sinners? How many sit in the seat of scoffers? Nobody? Okay, good, we're done. Um, Kevin, you want to come up and close? You see, here's the problem. I used to read the scripture, and of course, I didn't give you much time for thought. I used to read it the same way. I say, oh, I'm not a mocker. I'm not a sinner much. I'm not a scoffer. Uh, I'm not a, uh, uh, a uh, whatever it is, uh, in uh, the wicked. I'm not wicked. That's not what it says. And, and I think this is such a cool, subtle little thing. It, it doesn't say, uh, blesses man who is not wicked, and man who is not a sinner, and who is not a mocker. It says, who does not walk in the counsel, does not stand in the path. Do not sit in the seat. How many of you believe that at times in your life, and I'm not talking about a one period of life when I was 17. I'm talking about moments, days, periods of times, hours that you may do this. We got some nods, but no hands. Okay, so a lot. So nodding, but that's too risky to raise your hand. Okay, um, so um, you see. Uh, um, how about those Christians around me that have been, that seem cold or lifeless or angry or bitter or infested with birch boar? How about when I've been one of those? Why is that? Well, in order to demonstrate this further, we have a chemistry experiment. Oh, if you want to do it. How many want the chemistry experiment? Okay, good, good. Okay, so um, Adam is going to come up and help us because uh, 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 we always need the, the lovely assistant. This is Adam, my lovely assistant. Let's give him a hand and come on up. Now, what's the first? What's the most important thing you do bef- when you before you do the experiment? Good job. Safety goggles. So, Adam, we have provided safety goggles. Give another hand. Now, those are cool safety goggles. I teach chemistry, by the way, and uh, we have lots of different goggles. Those are ones I wear, the eyewear that I wear. Anyway, so, uh, so here's what we're going to do. Here is a, hold up the blue one. This is your life before you found Christ, or a life of a person who's not uh, in Christ. Uh, the blue represents uh, sinful ideas, sinful uh, patterns and habits, and it makes you blue, you know, most of the time, or a lot of times. Uh, and then here's what happens. You, somehow, somebody shares a gospel, or maybe you are raised in the church, or somehow you get a glimpse of a different kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. Yellow. And it's beautiful, it's pure, it's golden. No, that's not a urine sample, okay? So it's this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And you want that in your life. And so you... Pour it into your life. So go ahead and pour the gold into the blue. And so he's going to pour it. Ready, ready, ready. Okay. And here's what happens. The kingdom of God is definitely in there. The, the work, the seed of the kingdom is in there. And what do we get? Green. Green. And that's not the point. <laughs> it's a beautiful mixture. How many would say that's kind of true of a Christian life? It's often a mixture. See, we're not... And we can, if I left over some blue, I would look at that and say, hey, I'm not as blue as my neighbor with the boar, Right? But it's not looking like the kingdom. That's the, re- the reality of this. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and um, go ahead and stir that a little bit. Um, and we don't probably even need to. Um, as he's talking, or as he's doing that... Uh, I'm going to um, talk about three problems, three reasons why we see um, uh, why we don't experience the blessing that we could experience. Okay, you ready? And I'm going to go through these fairly fast. That's good. You can sit that down. It stays green. And we're going to call Adam up a little bit later. Why don't you take a front seat, um, and we'll call you up a little bit later. Okay, here's three problems. Yes. <laughs> Amazing stirring, Adam. Yes. Um, okay, three problems. Here's number one. And it's from, and in the scripture... Um, you know, talks about this. Here's the problem, though. You see, we may take Christ into us, but we are swimming in an ocean of sin. Music, news, videos, education, and oh, have you um, heard, seen this thing called the internet? And uh, it's it's all around us. We are immersed in it. We're swimming in it. We live in an arrogant, violent, hedonistic, materialistic, sexualized, angry, sports obsessed self-absorbed culture that mocks the Word of God and anyone who would seriously attempt to follow it. Is that true? That's the culture we live in. Just this week, I read in the newspaper um, about a website. I had heard about the website because several years ago, I heard a radio spot and I was just aghast. What has the world come to? It's a website where you, um, that you can get on, um, on this website, you can register it, and they can um, uh, set you up with a partner to cheat on your spouse secretly, discreetly. And the tagline is this the ta- I don't want to tell you the name of the website, I don't want you to have to go look on it, look for it. The tagline is Life is short, have an affair. Now, they tried to get that, their, their message advertised in the Super Bowl in 2009. And, and thankfully, the NFL rejected it. And they haven't rejected everything that they could have rejected, but they rejected that. <laughs> um, but blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And yet, I went to the Y this week. I was working out on a treadmill. I hate doing that. So I try to watch TV. I can't find anything de- worth watching. And I, and I saw this crime show. And I've, every time I turn, it's like 3 or 4 in the afternoon. I turn it on. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, no. It's the same thing. And it's always just this disgusting, creepy, sadistic people. But this guy, typical, was like, you know, slaughtering people. And he was doing it through his ritual slaughters. And he was quoting scripture. He had a robe. And he was quoting the book of Revelation. Less than a man who's not walking in the council of the mockers. But you see, just turning on the, the TV while I'm doing on, on the treadmill, I, I'm, I'm there and someone mocking Scripture. And I would see the perversity, and we're swimming in it. But here's the problem, and I was tempted to tell you all kinds of evil, but we don't need to know that. Here's the, the problem. It's not so much that there's evil out there, but that invo- it invades us, seduces us, lies to us, wears us out, and slowly, silently warps our thinking. Can we identify with that? It does. Tim Keller said if you go out into a rainstorm, even with an umbrella, the chances are you're going to get wet. A little bit, at least. If you don't believe you've been affected by it, that's probably evidence you, that you definitely are. Now, I heard somewhere the life is short. But covenant, the covenant is an old-fashioned concept, but personal fulfillment is a cultural idol that screams at me every day. Isn't there a scripture somewhere that guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Or is that a scripture? No. But blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel uh, or in the path of sinners, stand in the path of sinners. The truth is that life is short, which is all the more reason to rejoice in the wife of my youth. Amen? No one will ever, no other woman will ever be able to hold a candle to her and the supernatural intimacy and trust that we share after 31 years of marriage. Only a fool would throw that away. And yet, I'm called on to throw it away. And then there's Stand-up comedy and talk radio and blogs that are angry, insulting, and mocking spirit that's so infectious. And perhaps that's the reason that when I see an injustice, why, is that why my first instinct is to hire a lawyer, call a press conference, and begin a scorched earth policy? My first thought in conflict is less, what would Jesus do, and more, what would Jack Bauer do? <laughs> is that because I'm being influenced by the world? You know, I I love sports. I'm a coach. My dad was a coach. But I'm not just a passive sports fan. It borders more on the obsessive. Anybody there with me? Does anybody else get depressed when the Zags or the Seahawks lose? Especially in the playoffs? What's worse is my dad and I, because we're a coach, when you're a coach, you take personal responsibility for a loss. Because we coached so long, we actually feel guilty. I want to apologize all of you for not calling Pete Carroll to change the slant pass to a a bootleg option, you know. I really, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. it, It haunted me for days. We're foolish to underestimate the corrupting and deluding effect that the world has on our faith and practice. We are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom that is not of this world. God is calling us out to be in the world, but not of it we need to put on the full armor of God every day. Now, if it was only that the world is assaulting us, that'd be one thing. But there's another problem. It's called our sin nature. Jeremiah 17:9 says, Our hearts are deceitful above all things. Who can cure it? You see, I can so easily justify that I have good intentions and, well, it's not really that bad and that it'll be okay and that I'm just compromising a little bit. How many have been there? Our heart is deceitful. And there's a problem I heard a pastor one time talk about the deception of deception. And here's how it works. You see, when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived. And when you know you're deceived, then you no longer are. We don't realize when we're deceived because we're deceived. How many get that? It's crazy. And then the third problem, spiritual attack. The Bible teaches there's literal spiritual attack. And if you've never experienced it, maybe you've experienced it and haven't identified it, uh, it, it, it can work like this. Um, it, it's co- condemnation and accusations and fear and doubt sometimes even come out of nowhere. In fact, I, we just heard in the prayer group with the interns and, and some of the people doing the service, uh, someone was talking about, I would believe, would be fit in this category. And it assaults us and it attacks us, and we can't get away from it. So we have all these things to battle. And a lot of times the attack comes in the, in the form of a half-truth. Who's heard this? The, the best lies are partially true. Um, the, over the library, the most prestigious university in the country—one of the most in the country. Do you want me to know what that university is? What? What? Is <laughs> I can't even believe you would suggest that. No, the University of Oregon, of course. That's where I went to school. Okay. Over the library is a scripture. The truth shall set you free. How many? That's a pretty good scripture. Scripture, pretty good uh, quote for a library. It's a half truth. No, the truth will not necessarily set you free. Here's the full scripture: If you are my disciples and you do what I ask, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many see? There's a big difference. If the university was committed and the students were committed to that target for learning. It would have made all the difference. Oregon would have beat Ohio State (laughs) in the championship game. (laughs) And other things. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Now, but here's the most important part we're going to get to. Um, The second part of the solution is this. And you can't just, a lot of Christians have tried to shut out the world, which you can't actually do because you got your heart. That's sinful anyway. You need to keep your guard against the brutes bore, against the aphids that come to attack and infest you. i mean, going to get that. But sometimes the best defense is a good offense. And the offense is the sword of the spirit. Part two for a demonstration. Adam? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So we're going to have two things. Now you're going to multitask. Can you do that? <laughs> as he's demonstrating, I'm going to be talking. Now you can be so into his demonstration, hoping it's going to explode, that you don't listen. So try to listen as you as he does this. So we have before you the white um, substance is representative of the word of God. And the scripture says that I need to delight in the word of God. So hold up the word of God and say, Oh, yeah. That's what we delight in. It's not homework, by the way. How many have taken an uh, approach to Scripture that it's homework? I do sometimes. Oh, I've got to do my devotions. But what if I delight in it? So we're going to take that, and we're going to put it into Mr. Christian that's kind of not very godly Christian guy, that's mixed with a lot of the world, and go ahead and pour it in. And we're going to pour it in, we, so we do our devotions. And we, we pour the Word of God, let's say, for weeks or months, And look what happens. Nothing. Why? Because what have we not done? We haven't meditated. So go ahead and start stirring, Adam. So here's what meditation is meditation is this, listen carefully, it's to slowly chew on, to digest. To analyze, scrutinize, agonize, personalize, internalize, and then realize a kingdom that is not of this world. That's what it is. And I could just tell you're all looking at that and not listening. (laughs) Whoa. And as we do that, the word gets inside of us and it begins to work its supernatural, eternal magic. And what it does is it begins to make a separation between bone and spirit, uh, so bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and it judges the thoughts and the tents of the heart, and some of God's kingdom begins to reside and grow. Keep stirring, Adam. You're on a roll, buddy. Easter meditation, think about this. If you know anything about Easter meditation, it is about emptying oneself and becoming more detached from the passions of this world. Half truth. There's a value of that, by the way. But it's half the truth. But this meditation on God's word is about detaching from the lies of this world, yes, through doing what? Through attaching to the kingdom of God. And the power is not only turning away, but turning towards. Not only putting off, but putting on. Not only walking away, but walking towards. How many get that? That's where the power is. Now, it's been said as he does this, and you notice the kingdom of God is growing in its influence in this person's life. It's been said that some people, uh, uh, you may have heard this, that people can become so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Who's ever heard of that? Half truth. The Bible teaches that when we become truly heavenly minded, not partly, truly heavenly minded, then we can do the most earthly good because we actually bring heaven down to earth. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That is the reason for hope. That is how the disciples who truly followed what Jesus said turned the world upside down. It's because of that power. And we end up getting more. Go ahead and add the rest. So we that was one year of devotion. Now we're going to do more meditation. You see, because there's still a lot of green in me. <laughs> there's... I'm not done. There's lots of green. And I'm guessing I'm going to have to spend my whole life because I won't get rid of my flesh until I die. And I do not get rid of the influence of the world until I die. And I don't get rid of the attack of the enemy. In some ways, I increase it if I'm walking with God. But I need to continue to meditate. I don't want to be like that tree that grew for a while it was doing well and then ended up getting infested ended up drying up. We're all around the corner from greater growth, around the corner from being shipwrecked. I can't depend on the, what I meditated on years ago. Now, in practical terms, and this is the last part and the best part, um, I have a practical way for you to do this. I read a, a book that powerfully influenced me a couple years ago um, called uh, Bonhoeffer. Has anybody read that book? If you haven't, read it. Just flat out, read it. Um, it's powerful about a great uh, theologian in World War II, and, uh, and how he uh, not only got revelation of God, he led disciples through the, the, uh, the horrors of World War II. He led uh, a seminary of, of Bible students, and, and he, he, he fought the decay of the church, his influence. And then he, he ended up uh, joining the resistance against Hitler and ended up getting uh, hung at the very end of the, uh, of the war uh, as a result of his involvement. And we're going to stop right now. And let Adam sit down. Um, let's give him a hand one more time. Take a look at how beautiful that is. So here's what, um, what Bonhoeffer taught his seminaries. Picture going in a seminary. What would that be like? Hours and hours and hours of teaching and of taking notes. Here's what he had them do. He had them spend a half an hour every morning with one scripture and a half an hour at night with the same scripture. And they did the same scripture for the entire week. That was his main method. They did other teaching, probably systematic theology. But that was the main method. And, and to the point that it changed people's, un, in a deep level, to the point when he was in the concentration camp, even the guards took note that he was living at a different level. Because the word of God, now you could... You could throw fear, you could throw accusation, and you could threaten him. But there is a residual uh, of of God's work that was so deep down that couldn't be touched. Oh, Adam, come up right write it one more time. I just realized we've got to do the other piece. Let's take this and mix it up a little. We're going to toss this real quick. Put it in the other beaker, the empty beaker. What's going to happen when we dump that in? And just hold it. You can get shook up. You can get messed up, and it will still be there—the work of God—that's so solid that it can't be taken away from you. Amen. Okay, you can sit down. So he would do this. So I'm gonna—we're gonna do uh, just some quick little uh, examples of what this looks like. So what he would—let's uh, show up the first scripture. So you might take a single little verse. Usually, I take three or four verses uh and uh this one perfect you do not conform to the pattern of this world be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will so i could take that for an entire week and i could look at it, lord and i and i pray through it i memorize it but i also meditate on it. And i try to live it out during the day and lord what is the pattern of the world that i'm giving into and Lord, help my mind to be renewed. Oh, how my mind needs to be renewed. And you meditate on that and you deep, you work it deep within you. Next scripture. There's neither Jew. So maybe you take this for a week. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor male or female, for all are one in Christ. In there, it's so powerful. This is the first century. And it was in here, in one short scripture, it, uh, it abolished uh, racism, sexism, classism. And now I can apply it because that's not over. And in my own life, who, in, who am I not reaching out to because of race or because of the class they're in or whatever, or how can I fight injustice What can I do in my neighborhood or whatever? I meditate on that. You see, the word of God is the language in an eternal kingdom. And the best way to learn a language, I've heard, is to immerse yourself in it. Is that right? To immerse yourself in it. Um, They say that you know that you are becoming fluent when you begin to dream in it. Do you dream in Scripture? you wake up with scripture on your lips? You can. And it can begin to change you. See, See, Jesus taught from the word of God. He rebuked Satan with the word of God. He battled the Pharisees with the word of God. How much more do we need to drink it, to wash in it, and to be saturated by the word of God? It should be our life. Jesus said, you don't live by bread alone, but every what? Word. That comes from the mouth of God. I need to meditate on scripture not because I'm so spiritual, but because I'm not. I need to meditate on scripture not to turn a blind eye to the world. I need to meditate so I can see the world for what it is and start to practice the beautiful, revolutionary ways of the eternal kingdom. Meditating on scripture day and night will change your life in ways you could never imagine. It might even change someone else's life. I want to close with one more scripture that I was meditating on, March, I believe, in 2013, two years ago. Put up the scripture, please. Here's the scripture. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. In, my, in the NIV, I believe it says, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, another verse that says, be imitators of God. And so I was, I was on my third day of meditating on this. I was on a five-mile run, and meditating again means not only have I memorized it, but I'm processing God, questioning, how am I doing this or not doing this? And I got to the, the last part about how Christ gave himself up, and I, and I was pondering, God, how am I living a life of sacrifice? Am I living a life of sacrifice? We had just a year, before, a year and a half before had gotten rid of our last kid out of our house. I don't mean that in a bad way, but... They'd grown up, and they'd moved out. And it was awesome. This was my wife and I, newlyweds again, sort of. And uh, it was great. And so I was pondering this. And literally, I come back from this five-mile run, the whole time praying about this. I come back into the parking lot, and a teacher who's a friend of mine walks out at the same time and asks me this question said, hey, Kelly, would you like to take a kid in? Wow. It was like God, it's like you're knocking. You say, God, whenever, you know, I, and all of a sudden he opens a door. And I said, who? And I was going to say, I, we can't do that, we, you know. And he, she said this girl who was one of those kids that I had a special heart for who had had a lot of issues, had been asked the courts to take her away from her home, and there's, there's some good things in her home, and there's some really hard things in her home, but asked to be taken away a couple years before, and had been on, through her third or fourth foster care kind of situation. And I just felt like God was answering my prayer maybe, but we spent several weeks and, and, and maybe months even you know, praying with people, getting counsel from people and so forth, and, getting, and God gave us other scriptures, and it was so clear that God was telling us to take her in so let's show the picture please so that's me on the right <laughs> my wife on the left and Sarah uh, in the middle and Sarah had, became our kid and we did it by because we believed God was calling us we knew that also no matter how hard it might be at times that God was going to give us the grace if he was calling us he was going to give us the grace to do it And and it'd be one thing if we did, and she just was kind of a border but We really wanted to, in a sense, spiritually adopt her, and commit to her. She didn't need somebody else who was going to take her for a week or for a year, and commit to her. And she has become a part of our family, and it has been an amazing thing. And it has been like any teenager. It's been a teenager. It's been hard at times because she's working with her own green stuff. I knew she was a believer too, and she is growing. Right now, tomorrow, in fact, we're going to drive to Seattle. The next day, pick her up. She's been in a um, discipleship training school in in uh, uh, Bolivia. Yeah, in Bolivia. Three weeks of eight hours a day in instruction, meditating God's word. You would think that would be boring for an eighteen year old. She just wrote us an email. She couldn't. We couldn't hear anything from her. Got an email last week. Among other things, she's so fired up to, for God. Why? Because she was meditating on God's word for three weeks to a whole bunch of other people. And she said this one thing. Well, among other things, she said, I can't wait to come home and serve you. That's a miracle. 18-year-olds <laughs> don't want to do that. How many agree with that? Yeah, it's a miracle. We can't wait to see her. Wow. Couple, two things, and then we're done. Thing one, I have, um, <laughs> I started to, I use these, uh, I'd make up little, you know, write out little three-by-five cards and take them to, uh, to meditate on. And, and it wasn't bad when you're in your car, and that, that works. But then um, I started, like, realizing that, like, if you exercise, it's a great thing to do while you're exercising, um, like riding a bike or running. But they get all sweaty and wrinkled and they fall apart, trying to hold on and, and break and stuff with the car. And so I got these. Oh, by the way, I don't have the clips with me, but you can, I can get a clip for you. But I have like nine of these to give out. It's Psalm 1, believe it or not. And, and, and it's in this little cover. You can take three by five cards and you can insert it in there and you can put on your dashboard, although you've got to have it memorized. You, know, you can't be reading when you're driving. You, you, could, put it, you could clip it, clip it to, to your bike. And, like, I, I'm trying to memorize. Oh, what does that say again? Because I don't memorize very easily. You could just have it on your counter in your bathroom. So, ladies, when you're doing makeup or whatever, guys, when you're doing makeup, you could have it on the counter, you know? And, uh, and you could keep looking at that and meditating and thinking about it as you're doing your makeup. It, you know, who knows? I have these to give out. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that somebody in here will want to be like those disciples that hear the message and, like, really want to do it. Really, really, like, yeah, I want to go all the way. I want to go all in. I want to see what God can do in my life. I want to see if God puts people in my life to do something crazy with. So I just want to simply end with this question. What would happen if you really did this. By the way, Mike wasn't the strongest Christian at the time. Wasn't the strongest Christian in college. We kept, he, we kept talking every couple weeks when he was in college and talking about some of these issues he was having. Now he's doing awesome. He ended up marrying the pastor's daughter. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> what would happen if you did this? Thank you.